Otapoti artist Marilyn Webb passed away in 2021. She's best known for prints that connect us to the landscape, considering the effects of environmental and human history. And in her rich career, spanning more than six decades, it's, it's all being celebrated in a major new exhibition and book from Dunedin Public Art Gallery called Folded in the Hills. An artist also deeply connected with landscape, Bridget Rewiti, is co-curator of the exhibition and co-author of the book alongside Lucy Hammonds and Lauren Gudsell. And she joins me here now on Culture 101. Kia ora, Bridget. Kia ora, Mark. I kind of feel like your arrival in Otapoti Dunedin in some way, I don't know if mirror is the right word, but mirror or reflects or it has this kind of parallel to... To, to Marilyn Webb's in some way. Oh, yeah, definitely. Did, was that something you felt or discovered when you came to Dunedin for the Francis Hodgkins? I knew that Marilyn was the first Māori woman to have the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship. I knew that Marilyn, Ralph and Hone Tufare, who was a Robert Burns Fellow. Ralph Hōturi. Yeah, Ralph Hōturi. Mm-hmm. They all had either the Francis Hodgkins Fellowship or the Robert Burns Fellowship, mm. and then they stayed and they had these amazing practices. In my mind, I had this very romantic idea of Dunedin and moving there and becoming a full-time artist after the fellowship and having a large studio. Part of that's worked out, yeah, but I yeah, knew yeah. that Marilyn said that, that there was a legacy to follow. So when I did first arrive in um, Ōtipoti, Dunedin, I got a call from a curator there who had had received a call from Marilyn saying, I need to come visit. So she knew I was in town, <laughs> ah. and I went and had a cup of tea, and it was amazing. So she sort of invited you. Yes. She yeah. she would have been maybe 81 at the time. And how was her health? Because she what, passed away a year later or something? Yeah, she passed away in 2021, and she had she wasn't didn't have the best health for the last few years, but was still very sharp and knew what was going on in the arts and in particular in the Māori arts world. So I wanted to meet and connect. And she, from my research and spending so much time with her family of friends, she had a very strong network of friends. She was very good at hosting and being in relationship with people. And so I know that she wanted to start that and host this new Māori artist that had just arrived oh, in town. That's really beautiful. Yeah. And as we hear in the book, in Folded in the Hills, it sounds like the Francis Hodgkins, that whole thing of having a year, a studio, you know, you don't have to do other work, you can focus on it, was a huge, huge thing for her. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, because she had been teaching with the um, Arts and Crafts Advisors, also known as the Tovi Generation or the Taiapa Generation, um, in, in Northland and around kind of uh, Tamaki Makoto, Auckland area, and... She writes and talks about this. She she's, says, as a single woman at the time, she did a major. She did the majority of kind of the extracurricular workshops, weekend working, and taking up a lot of the uh, maybe extra work that wasn't allocated to the male teachers at um, the time, like Ralph. Yes, yes. Who was maybe given a bit more flexibility than she was. So she was working really hard for maybe 15 years and could only work on her own practice um, in the weekend, Sunday mornings, she talked about. And then having the fellowship where she had a whole year that was paid, where she could explore her own practice and techniques. And she came up with some amazing techniques at the time. 
and was extremely kind of experimental and playful and it kind of set a course for the rest of for 40 more years <laughs> of making art yeah, and that a, commitment. A remarkable career, a remarkable commitment. I think that's one of the things that Autopori Dunedin has, gives a lot of artists. I know there yes. are still you know, many artists who have chose to live there because they can somehow sustain a practice over yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. Landscape. Yes. I, I, you know, she. I think she'd grown up in Oporiki, yes. I think, and yeah. then she'd been in the Hokianga around with the, with the, the you know, the, mm. the type of the Tovi art educators. Uh, to me, you know, that is something that strikes me about Otapodi is this landscape mm. and, and its dominance. How has it been for you? I have also looked to Marilyn for this because Marilyn is Ngāpohi Te Rorua and Ngāti Kahu, so she's from the Te Tai Tokiro. Grew, grew up in Oporiki, which is just down the road from where I'm from, in Tauranga yeah. Moana. And so being a manuhiri in kaitahu whenua, I definitely look to Marilyn to how she engages with the whenua and the land. And she made relationships. She made relationships with mana whenua. She learned narratives and names and embedded those in her work, but didn't kind of tell the story of someone else's land. So it was all about connection mm. to her and the connection that you can make as Māori, as woman, to a land that might not necessarily be your own but can represent those kind of broader concepts of whenua. So how has that affected your work? Because you work with landscape a lot, don't you? Uh, 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 And again, connection with landscape, or or the words I've seen used, indigenous landscape, which Mm. is an interesting concept. Yeah, so I make sure I always try and make work in relationship with mana whenua and I know that, you know, you can do this in many different ways. And I'm just very aware that there are a lot of Māori that live outside of the Rohe and we are privileged to live in these beautiful places that we don't necessarily whakapapa to, but we understand those concepts. And so, you know, just being kind of, it's, it's all about relationships and connections and yeah. I guess feeling your way through and making sure that... You feel good about the work that you're putting out, that you're not telling someone else's story, but you're making a connection from my whakapapa to theirs. Do you feel an affinity with her work? You're similarly dealing with landscape. I mean, oh, so it's an obvious question, really. I mean, you do, but, but, you know, it, it's like the, the, there is a mirror there as well, a little bit. A totally different generation. You work with photography yeah. and moving image, and this yeah. is printmaking, yes. which was very much that tactile thing of oh, yeah. the 70s was coming through. Yeah, I... Well, I did printmaking at high school and I really loved it and then went to through Toyoho Kiapati and Massey at Palmerston North. There mm. wasn't uh, the ability to do printmaking, but I re- still really enjoy that tactile, papery, um, kind of the physicality of, I guess, you still do it with photography of processing and making works. But to be honest, I knew of Marilyn's legacy and I knew of some of her works, but it wasn't until working on this project I realised the breadth of her work. And there were so many new series that were new to me. So this is what's interesting about her work, right? Mm. I mean, this isn't the first show that the Dunedin Public Art Gallery have had. This is no. a very big one. And yeah. It's a really big book. And her work she is beloved. It feels to me like she is beloved oh, in this, definitely. this yeah. place she came to, yeah. Marilyn Webb in, in Autopoli, Dunedin. Yeah. But I... You know, it, there's still a kind of a parochialism we see in New oh, Zealand in Mark, the art world. tell me about like, it. Like, you know. Yeah, uh, I'm so, it's one of those things that I try not to 
complain about, but there are certain aspects that, and differing things that contribute to her not being as valued or as accepted into the art history canon of Aotearoa, and I think the parochial, that provincial nature of her work is one of them. She's Māori, she's a woman, she's a printmaker, so yeah. it's craft. Yeah. It's not as... Printmaking's really still just not, you know... Yeah. It's it's, yeah. it's not really got the... Atten- you know, we've, we've seen ceramics come back. Yes, <laughs> yes. And photography's had its moment for decades now, but printmaking still yeah, seems yeah. to be troublesome. And printmaking is so political. The, the origins mm. of it and that be- ab- ability to repeat and post up and that kind of quickness of it. But, and so Marilyn used that at the same time as making really unique prints that were hand-finished with what she kind of called naughty materials, like vivid or um, <laughs> pencil. And, but I think all those, I think coming back to those factors that result in her not being as accepted, I think the underlying factors of kind of a colonial residue, that the art world doesn't want to accept these provincial Māori women Craft okay. makers. Oh, can I ask you about colonial residue? Is an interesting one. Is, yeah. is that about the fact that she was Māori and a printmaker? Or I think it's. I think it's everything contributing. Like the idea of the parochial or provincial is the othering of these places that are the centres of our world, but not necessarily Wellington or Auckland or yes. further afield. It's all. It's kind of an other. Yeah. It's yeah. a. It's a constant othering. There's another bit of that. I mean, you've touched on already the sort of Taipa Tovi generation, mm. and you know that, that how that, and it's really clear the, it, with, with your focus here that you know the men oh. got the big careers, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah, and we again, know we tried not to make too much of a comparison, but we couldn't not acknowledge the fact that you know these amazing artists. I love these artists: Ralph Cliff Whiting, Sandy Atset, Pada Matchett. Had amazing art careers, and uh, acknowledged as you know th- that generation of artists. But Marilyn isn't, and she was one of the few women from that generation that continued to practice. And mm. there are other amazing women that were part of the generation that went on to do other amazing things for Te Ao Māori. But Marilyn is the artist of them. There's another bit that is the other as well, which was that her work was very political. Yes. And I, I wondered about your feelings about whether, you know, at least back in the day, that if you, you, you stapled your mast, I mean, Hortary sort of got away with it, I you know. know. How did he get away with it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe, but you, know, he, but you know, she was, like Hortary, involved very much in the whole of the protest movement yes. around the environment. Aramoana yeah. is the one that probably people kind of mm. think of a lot, but seeing this book was very political. I mean, do you think that that kind of people would distance themselves from artists that were that political to a degree? I don't, I can't, I don't know what it was like at the time of the 70s and 80s, but I do know that when you look at Marilyn's, especially Aramoana series, they're what she specifically called her first protest works against the Aramoana smelter, they're these white blind ink prints and they're just these beautiful... White. So can you explain what that is? So that's, they have no ink on them and they've oh. just been embossed from underneath. Oh, like the beautiful cover of this book, yes. which is a sort of a white embossed cover. Yeah, but with no ink at all. And they're the oh. plants that were growing on the salt marshes of Aramoana. So they're very subtle. 
So her first pro, so yes, they are protest works and yes, they are political, but they're also kind of subtle and ironic. And well, there's another other that she was, you know, botanical. Yes, she was like a botanist in <laughs> yeah. a way. Well, I was talking with Rebecca Rice from Tapapa about this project, the research she's been doing about the 19th century women botanical artists. Oh, nice! And how they've been sort of left out because yeah. they don't kind of fit. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think her work, whilst being political inherently, is also not just political. It was these uh, exploration of new techniques and new ways of thinking about how to resist big corporations or environmental destruction. And it mm. wasn't necessarily kind of shouting and loud No, and it's, it's, qui- it's quiet, yeah. isn't it? It's quiet works. The other reason maybe she gets neglected is the work is so quiet in yeah. a beautiful way. Yeah. In a time when art was getting quite exclamatory, wasn't it? I mean, yes. think of the 80s and the big paintings yeah. at the time. Yeah, and then, <laughs> but then I guess you, you can move on to Taste Before Eating. I wanted to raise oh, this. Yeah. It's an amazing <laughs> series. <laughs> tell, yeah. us, tell us about Taste Before Eating. This was a series of prints which are, are in the book. It's worth getting the book alone just yeah. to, to, because they, they're there. The series is there, I think. Is it in full? This was a series shown at the Dallas Art Museum mm. in, in the heart. Yeah, commissioned by James Mack and was one of her, the few kind of specific commissions that she received. And she made a series of elephant-sized works. So they are her largest works. The paper is massive. Ah. The frames are huge and they take up so much space. And I just want to kind of reiterate that physicality of printmaking, of running these giant papers through an even larger press, that how kind of similar to sculpture it has such a kind of laborious nature to it. Uh, but these works are in the style of Aunt Daisy, who was a broadcaster who used to talk about recipes on the radio, and apparently she talked very fast. Yes. And so in the style of that, Marilyn has these sarcastic recipes that uh, say the Aramoana soup, which is like oh yes, I've one got, albatross. Find it. I've got some of it here. Can yeah, I read it? Yeah, please. This is the beginning and the end of the recipe. Find a dead albatross, a dead swan, a dead shag, and then running through. Finally, add the cost of the electricity used to make the dish to the customer's bill. Yeah, <laughs> it's quite sharp. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and just a whole series of that that was in resistance to Muldoon's Think Big campaign and the damming of the Clutha River and different areas that were going to be mined, which is so relevant today. Yeah. yeah. Why is it relevant today? I don't <laughs> well, think it's state the our, obvious. Oh, well, our new government is wanting to repeal yep. many of the very important environmental, Māori, uh, uh, health. Oh, oil and gas exploration yeah. at the time of COP at the moment. So many things, <laughs> yeah. So very relevant as it was then it is today. So I guess that's the other thing really to touch on that seems quite distinctive about her work was this kind of interest in the altered landscape or the mm. landscape that had been in this kind of tension between the industrialised, the, you know, the industrialisation and, and, and the environment as seen in it. Yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned, for example, one that I thought was really interesting, the Waitaki Valley, you mm. say, is a, a prime example of an anthropogenic landscape. I had to look that word up. But, you know, it's the altered landscape, right? Oh, so and that altered. goes back to, like, the Māori rock drawings, but also to industry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So that was a braided river, like the other beautiful braided rivers of Te Waipanamu. 
and now it, it has been dammed. A lot of those rock shelters have been flooded. Um, you know, and we talk about uh, Rakai Hotu, who was one of the tipuna that made these uh, rivers and lakes, but now there's engineers and different mm. kind of corporations that are making lakes out of flooded rivers and flooding the areas, turning into farmland. It's all kind of, there's blue gums. And it, it's a landscape when you look across it, it's very hard to recognize any uh, native plants. Wow. Yeah, so it's very, very changed. And this is a landscape that goes, you know, from the kind of hinterland from the foothills of Aoraki all the way out to the sea. Yeah, and there's a mm. lot of those areas. And Marilyn's work is really beautiful in the fact that she can address these issues that are quite sad, but at the same time kind of give us hope that those names and narratives and deep histories remain and can remain in the future as well. I mean, again, thinking of, of the government of the time at the moment in terms of talking about Māori names, and mm. we, we use the words Ōtapoti Dunedin here, but yeah, Marilyn was very prescient in terms of actually really wanting to recover yeah. through her Māori place names, right? Yeah, yeah, and in a kaitahu dialect, because oh. those were the people she was engaging with, and that was the dialect that they were using. And she has that beautiful um, in Hodges Wake series where it's different tones of ponamu greens and they're all utilizing um kaitahu names of different types of ponamu wow yeah that's yeah. so cool so that's beautiful. so cool yeah and th this kind of brings me back to where she she actually made a home um lake mahenerangi mm, is it yeah. which i haven't visited i looked it up on the google earth mm. google maps and i was astonished to see it looks like a river but it's not no yeah yeah, it's, it's a flooded river. A flooded river. So it again had been industrialised. It's yeah. been uh, contained. Uh, she had a property there that they would go and stay at. And, you know, her great friend, the amazing poet Scylla McQueen, they made, oh. made a book about uh, Together of Scylla's poems and Marilyn's works. And um, one of her uh, friends that she made in Ōtipoti, Patrick Carey, had a property there as well. They were neighbours. Mm. Marilyn was planting out a kind of artwork garden that acknowledged her Welsh, Celtic and Māori heritage. Well, what sort of artwork garden was it? Well, we've learnt about it in the archives. It doesn't I think, exist anymore? I think there are, well, the property's still there and I'm planning to go up over summer. So I think remnants of it do, yeah. But I think she ended up having quite a lot of issue with uh, neighbouring boundaries and... Um, while she returned to this place multiple times, and the beauty of Mahinerangi in the exhibition is that you can walk through most of the uh, the whole first floor of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery. You can see different aspects from series of works that are all um, related to Mahinerangi. So she might have made... Um, the protection works, there's a Mahinerangi work, or her sunset blocks from her Francis Hodgkins Fellowship has a Mahinerangi work. I see. They all kind of have a work that relates to that place that she kept on returning to and, and had a deep connection to. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, well, congratulations to all three curators on the exhibition and this beautiful book, Folded in the Hills. I'm so pleased 
uh, to be looking at this and to know that her, it's going to spread the word about her work much wider than mm. those can, who can come to Autoporti Dunedin. Yes. Uh, it's a beautiful book, so congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Thank and you. the show tours to uh, Te Puno Waifi to Christchurch Art Gallery next year, and we're just waiting on some hopeful confirmations from some Tika Maui North Island venues. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Oh, kia ora, Bridget. Congratulations. Kia ora.